This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome. We're back and we're back with Eric Anderson, Editor-in-Chief over at Awards Watch. And I'm so happy to be with you again. How are you? I'm Gucci today, Christina. How are you? (laughs) I'm so Gucci today. So happy about these posters coming. I'm going to ask you about those. But what I'm going to say is what we're going to be talking about today is we have so much to catch up on. I want to get quick thoughts on the can winners because that's where we left off last time we talked um i want to talk to you about the venice lineup and then get some early emmy predictions because the nominations have been out for a while you are working so hard at this the emmys are up in september go ted lasso um (laughs) so i'm going to talk to you about that but first as you mentioned the posters for lady gaga's house of gucci just dropped this is ridley scott's movie starring lady gaga and adam driver about the turbulent marriage between Maurizio gucci and patricia that ended up in murder thoughts on these posters first i love that you called it lady gaga's house of gucci because that is what it should be called (laughs) <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I I love the posters. Uh, so like last week, I had, you know, seen some rumblings that the trailer was going to be coming this week. So I, I tweeted that out and people got like super excited. And so the, the, the everything surrounding this is like a, a firecracker just waiting to go off. So we're kind of just sitting here uh, waiting for that trailer to drop and super excited for it. I, I love the posters. They're really dark, like really, really dark. And especially Gaga's with her thick makeup and funeral clothes, uh, which is perfect because I'm yeah, dead now. Yeah, what did now. you write on Twitter? Because that was so funny. Oh, uh, yeah. When, when you have a photo shoot at 11 and your husband's funeral at noon. <laughs> she was ready to slay her husband and looks ready (laughs) no i like them too basically uh, so the listeners have to go check them out if you haven't seen them but it's the actors in character um just very big profile pictures but what did you think of jared leto i try not to think about jared leto (laughs) as much as possible um but one thing that's really kind of fun and interesting because obviously as as anybody that's been following gucci stuff we've basically seen the entire film uh because the the amount Some paparazzi of, pics. I've never seen this many set pictures on a film in my lifetime, ever. Um, and it's a good thing that it is an already known story that, you know, you're not going to be like, oh my God, I'm spoiled by this information because it has been like the whole movie, but you never know what you're going to get with just a regular, you know, set picture versus a production still. Uh, you don't know what the color is really going to look like. You don't know what you know, prosthetic makeup is really going to look like. Right, the finish. Yeah, and even though these are character posters that are, are a little more enhanced than than what we're probably going to see, I thought they were gorgeous. Um, I thought Leto's makeup was amazing, terrifyingly good. It's, um, it's unrecognizable as lots of people talk about things being unrecognizable on Twitter when it's really not unrecognizable, but this was... This was good. But another one of the comments was, why not just take an actor who looks like that? <laughs> I'm telling you, my, my other, my other uh, tweet today was, uh, Danny DeVito was robbed. I'm like, come on, just, you know, just hire a middle-aged heavy guy that 
wants to work. Just do it. Does he really get that many eyeballs because it's Jared Leto's in a movie? It didn't help the little things. So <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if the allure is, is what they think that it is. I don't know. They also got rid of Adam Driver's moles, which is a weird little thing, but it's, it's, it's still a thing. And it's all, you know, in, in effort to make him look uh, uh, more like Maurizio. And, and he does, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I was in the middle of writing my best actress uh, prediction piece, which I'll have up later, but I'm just, I'm, I'm too obsessed with these with these pictures. Yeah. Well, we'll we're talking now and, and probably we'll miss the trailer event, which should be coming any minute today. But um, maybe we'll talk about that next time or we'll, we'll you can follow us on Twitter for comments. But uh, this has been pushed up. It won't be at Venice, which I'm very disappointed. So House of Gucci will probably not be out this year is what they're saying. No, it'll be out this year. It's coming out at the end of November. Oh, good. Uh, But we just don't know if it's going to be a film that hits a festival or not. And and we we have major major films and major awards contenders that don't hit festivals. It happens Mm -hmm. every year. Um, It's it's extremely rare to never now that you can win the top prize without hitting one of the major fall festivals, though. So I think. I think it will sneak into somewhere, even if it's like AFI. It'll, it, I think it'll show up somewhere. Yeah, it's just that Venice felt like such an such a extremely correct place for this particular movie to go. But um, I, I also confused it with with Blonde, which um, I've been waiting for too, which is pushed to twenty twenty two. So it's a weird. We don't really know when things are coming and going and where they're going to be. Yeah, Blonde is actually something that I really expected to go to Venice uh, so that Ana de Armas could get her, you know, Lady Gaga arriving on the boat moment. Uh, and it would have been, it abs- she would have been, she would have been the, the absolute centerpiece of the festival. But well, that will I don't go know. to Spencer, don't you think? That moment. Yeah, absolutely. Diana. Absolutely. And it's, I'm, I'm really... I'm kind of troubled about what's going on with Blonde and, and I'm not really sure. There's so much circulating about, you oh, know. No, you think there's problems with it? It's the movie I'm, one you of know, the ones I'm. S- some of it's rumor and I don't, I don't like to put a whole lot of stock in rumor unless it can be, you know, founded. But it's, it's really hard to do. I mean, the movie was shot in 2019. It's been in post-production for a year and a half. And obviously, it would not be able to be in competition at uh, at Cannes, even though you know Terry Crews said that it could play out of competition because it's a Netflix movie. Because okay, it's just Netflix. for the listeners, this is the Anna Darmus, uh, um, Andrew Dominic uh, adaptation of the book Blonde, where she plays um, Marilyn Monroe. And we're so waiting for this movie, but uh, yeah, so it couldn't be at Cannes because it was a Netflix movie, but it could have been at Venice. Hmm. So something something's up, and then obviously the announcement yesterday, which is even the announcement was really odd because there's no official like confirmation. There was no source cited, and I talked to my sources. Yeah, I talked to my sources, and 
there was no conversation had between Variety and Netflix about this this move at all, which is odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's the rumor? I mean, what's the problem? The the one of the rumors is that there is some final cut issues between Dominic and Netflix. I can't say if that's true or not, but it might be why it's taken so long. I think too, because of the book that it's based on by Joyce Carol Oates, it's it's not a biography. It's not going to be what people are used to seeing in terms of you know something like Marilyn Monroe. It's going to be really avant-garde. It's going to be a really hard sell. Which, which may be why it's going to be fantastic. At least the book is. Exactly. The book, the book is thrilling. Uh, and, and I think Dominic is a, is a pretty unique director to, to take this on. But yeah, I just, I just kind of, I want to know what's going on. I want to know the why. And we never know until everything's, you know, said and done. Um, we're going to get back to Venice. I just want to sort of real quick get your thoughts on, because last time we talked, we talked about the Cannes lineup, and now we have the winners. Um, just in general, what did you think? You know, I thought they were pretty cool winners. And amazingly, all, all really, but, but, but one major one, already has U.S. distribution. So these are films that are not going to be so remote and removed from U.S. audiences as uh, international festivals can be sometimes. Um, Neon has the Palm d'Or winner, Tatane. Amazon has a hero. Um, the worst person in the world, uh, Neon has that as well. Yeah, Neon has um, everything. They, I mean, they have, they have so much this year, and that. And they had Parasite last year, just as a reminder. So they're yeah, really year, yeah, cooking. year before last, yeah. Yeah, year before last. But you know, they are they are really small, and I I wonder how they can manage multiple films and multiple campaigns because we have seen many small studios that are not able to do that very well. They have to really focus on one and put all their attention on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be pretty tough. And what do you think tough. that's going to be? What would it be if Eric Anderson was on the PR team of- If it was Neon? me, yeah. if it, it, would, it would all be, it would all go to Flea. Oh my God, I love Flea. But, you know, they have, yeah, they have that. They have Spencer. I mean, they have a lot. They have so much to contend with. So it's it's going to be interesting. And, you know, we're also now back to a semi-normal year. So we're going to have big studio films in play this year in a, in a way that were not last year. So these smaller films are going to struggle even more. But the that can lineup of winners is is really impressive. I think the only... Caleb Landry Jones, the best actor winner for Nitrum, doesn't have US distribution, but it could before the end of the year, or it might just get held on to, to until next year. All right. And just tell us about um, Tatane. I mean, this is not a movie that feels like it's an Oscar movie, really. <laughs> What's it about? <laughs> well, you know, I know it's already been spoiled by at least one outlet that we just mentioned in a really like totally unnecessary way. Um, I'm furious at them and many people are. There was no need to, to go so far. 
uh, Spike Lee spoiled it in the press conference, but you know, we're talking about a very small amount of people that are Spike Lee did a lot of spoiling the- over there at Con. <laughs> we really love Spike did. Lee, but but he, I, one of one of the big thing I don't think our listeners have missed is that he announced the Palm Door winner first. That was the funniest thing. I've never seen anything really quite like that, uh, especially just kind of knowing that he just had like a, a, a piece of paper that had all the winners' names on it. So like maybe next time, maybe do like, separate cards for each one or (laughs) envelopes whatever it might be so yeah so he announced the palm door winner uh first right off the bat and it's like the funniest thing in the whole world uh so you know poor julia decornow is like sitting in the audience and she might not have even really heard or understood exactly what was going on because it was very fast it was almost under his breath and it was you know shut down pretty quickly so i imagine there were plenty of people in the audience that did not actually hear it well, at least you're sort of confused. Was that wrong? Was it right? I mean, that's sort oh, of- Oh, it was, it was a Moonlight La La Land moment to <laughs> be sure. But yeah, so he did that. And then he did in the press conference after the closing ceremony, uh, talked about a detail in the film that is, you know, I would call a pretty big spoiler. And, you know, in most reviews, and certainly the my review of Rakan did not spoil that in their review uh, because they are professional. <laughs> so, but uh, to your point, is this an Oscar movie? You know what? On paper, no, it's definitely not. But as I say every year, the concept and the idea of what an Oscar movie is is changing every single year. So if you're locked into this idea that a certain type of movie is an Oscar movie, you're not watching the Oscars because the last five years of winners have gave us four extremely non-traditional winners and then one very traditional winner. So sure, anything's possible. But in broad strokes, without the spoiling aspect, what is it about? I don't even, I don't even know if I want to even talk about it. <laughs> I just don't. I just okay, want to, well, you know, people, I, I just. We'll leave people wondering. Yes, you can, you can, you can read the can review at Awards Watch and be not, and be non-spoiled. And, and if, if you want to know more, I'll just say that. Let's <laughs> talk about what the Venice lineup. So Venice will be on um, 1st of September and it's uh, an in-person festival, which is exciting. Hopefully it'll continue to be so depending on yeah. how Delta and other things go. But um, tell me about your first thoughts when you heard the lineup at Venice. Uh, it's a pretty exciting lineup. And there are a few things that we obviously knew were, were already there, like Spencer and Dune uh, and Power of the Dog. And, and I think those were, Jane Campion. yeah, those were the, 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 the big highlights because, you know, now we're going to see, you know, the Netflix films, the hand of God is there, the palace Orantino. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who was just a jury member at Cannes is in competition with her first film, the lost daughter, uh, with Olivia Coleman. So there's, there's a lot, there's going to be controversial stuff like, uh, uh, Michelle Franco's new film. Uh, his last film, New Order, that was at TIFF, caused a tremendous amount of controversy. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, so, you know, I'll be really curious to see what the reaction to that is. Why do, why got, was there a, why do you think there's going to be a controversy? I just think it'll be baggage from New Order. 
Okay. Which, what, what was that controversy? That was because it was sort of pretending to be like a parasite type of upheaval, but ended up being like the reverse, you know, like it was, it was pro the bad family. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there was a lot of negative response to it. Um, the, my, my critics that were there loved it. They both loved it. Um, but not a lot of people did. So I think there might be some, some side eye, uh, with his new film just to see, cause his response to, to the controversy was pretty aggressive and, and not exactly, uh, understanding. So you never know. You never know. And we have um, Almodovar who's, which mm-hmm. I cannot wait to see. Um, and that looks, the trailer looked amazing. It looks wonderful. We have double Penelope Cruz because we also have a official competition with Antonio Banderas and Oscar Isaac has three projects three. in Venice. <laughs> so good for him. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's, I, I, hope, I hope he can kind of just continue and, and be more like A-list than, you know, just a Twitter favorite kind of mm-hmm. actor. But he deserves it. It's going to be curious to see, I mean, also speaking of controversy, uh, his film, The Card Counter from Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader has been very active on Facebook, we'll say, uh, with extremely old fashioned opinions, I guess. Very much so, especially on about women, I have to say. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to put that. I know that Focus Features, he, he himself wrote that they asked him to stop. Yep. Um, and so he sort of demonstratively wrote that they've asked me to stop with sort of feeling like I won't, but, uh, so and I was quite surprised because someone right before the Venice lineup was announced said that, oh, this definitely can't be an Oscar picture. What'll, what's going to happen to this movie after all the controversy with him, but then it showed up here. So the Italians the see it differently, but we'll see if that, what I'm saying is, will that still, will this make it still, you know, lead to Oscar? lead Oscar to Oscar. Um, (laughs) I I don't, you know, I don't know because I have to say once I saw the trailer, I was extremely unenthusiastic by its chances. It, it felt shockingly pedestrian. It was so ordinary. So, and, and just like flatly shot, flat dialogue, everything was expected. So there was, there was nothing that really kind of lit a fire. So it might not even be, it might be a, a moot point. What are you sort of predicting the reactions to Dune are going to be? I mean, we've been talking about Dune for, I don't know how long now. And yeah, um, a while. The expectations are, I mean, there's no way it even managed them anymore. Um, what do you think? It's when, when the trailer came out, it was pretty funny because it's, um, it's definitely trying to, it's, it's a massive, massive expensive movie. They have to make a lot, a lot of money. And it's a big risk because we are still in, you know, at least in the United States, box office wise, we're not there yet. We're not, um, we're not at a place where we have bona fide hits, at least based on their, their budget of these tentpole movies. So I think Warner Brothers' approach with the trailer was pretty smart because not everybody is going to have read the books. 
or seen David Lynch's version. Hopefully not. <laughs> with which is you know fun in its own right. Yeah. Um, so they basically reveal almost the entire movie, or at least part one, because apparently this is part one. Um, they reveal most of it, which you know it feels like a safety. It's like here's here's just there's not going to be any surprises. What you see is what you get, and they want to get people in. And if you already know the story, then you're not being spoiled by anything, so it's not a big deal. Um, if you don't, I think they're hoping and they're counting on that revealing as much as they did is going to bring people in. But it did look fantastic. I thought it looked amazing. Visually, it looks amazing, as most yeah. of his movies I'm, do. But I'm super excited for it. It's just so big. It's like it's like Arrival was, you know, this million dollar indie yeah his little indie on an <laughs> iphone or something <laughs> absolutely compared to this which just looks absolutely huge and magnificent yeah i think it looks wonderful i have i have high hopes for it but again with with how warner brothers is doing their day and date with hbo max we haven't seen enough evidence yet of something being able to be a standalone hit while while being on, on HBO Max and Disney Plus for that matter too. We've only been looking at this and experiencing this for less than a year. So we need more time to be able to see what really qualifies uh, as a box office hit now. And I think we also need to recalibrate what we define what a box, is office, a box hit. office hit. Right. Yeah. It can't simply just be about the budget in comparison to the budget, which is what we used before. Well, that's going to be interesting. I'm also very curious um, about Spencer Kristen. Kristen Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> I'm also curious about Kristen Stewart playing Diana, Lady Diana Spencer, um, and how that movie, Pablo Lorraine, could sort of go either way. Either it's going to be a masterpiece or I, I'm really curious about the direction that that movie takes. I mean, I thought his Jackie about Jackie was amazing, but I know lots of people didn't. So um uh, absolutely. And again, you know, with, with, with approaches like this, or, you know, what Dominic is apparently doing with Blonde, um, you know, you're taking extremely recognizable people worldwide, and you're putting them in films and stories that are very not like what we're used to seeing. Um, and Spencer is only takes place over a weekend. There's flashbacks and stuff like that. But it's, it's only a weekend, which I think when you're talking about iconic people in history like this, unless you're able to do a multi-part limited series of their life, it's too hard to do a two-hour biopic and capture so much of them. So it's a safe, it's a very safe thing to do when you're only highlighting a very small uh, amount of time. Uh, Darkest Hour did that. And a lot of biopics are doing that now. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I hope that the approach that Pablo's done before and that Dominic will do, I'm hoping that the approach is less biopic. This is actually what happened and more sort of looking at the themes of fame and, and being, you know, a woman and, and, and that themes that apply to us, irregardless of, of who we are. Um, I have to feel that it will be just looking at at Lorraine's career and how he approaches everything. 
I do expect it to be pretty close to Jackie in style. Uh, and, and I hope that it is because it was extremely successful. And, you know, I mean, Natalie Portman only has a marginal, you know, passable uh, uh, look to Jackie Onassis. And Kristen Stewart doesn't look very much like Diana at all. Just passing. I love, I really like Kristen Stewart, but one thing she, she's not as I, you know, my impression of Diana's it was, is she's not that warm that I'm interested in seeing if, if she can, that warmness she can bring out. I think one thing that Stewart can capture about Diana and obviously, you know, a good dialect coach, if she gets the voice right, then, then she'll oh, that she nail will. it. She's such a pro. But I, I think, you know, Diana was at least publicly very soft-spoken and quiet. Her voice was quiet. She would have been amazing at ASMR. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Stuart is like that too. She is, true, she, true. Speak, she speaks under her breath, almost with like a lack of confidence. And I think she can capture that part of Diana really, really well. I think that can, that can happen. So I, I hope that it does. I want it to be great. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Well, Venice is sounding, it, it, I'm, I'm actually more excited about the Venice lineup than I was of Cannes, even though the winners were very interesting, but this is going to be fun. We'll let you know, as it looks like now I will be there and hopefully reporting a bunch of stuff from there. So that's going to be fun. But now let's go to TV. Go Ted Lasso. <laughs> as you can hear, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. It's been my summer. <laughs> yes. You are Fully and so wonderfully covering um, everything Emmys from when the nominations um, were from. I'm just going to get my papers up here. Um, when they were, and we are sort of a month away, right? The big show. Yeah, yeah. So we we've got the the winner voting is uh, the second half of August, the 19th to the 30th. So there's going <laughs> there will be a lot of Emmy interviews at Awards Watch for the first you know, two weeks of, of August. So get ready for those. It's going to be a lot. And we're almost finished up with all of the Emmy episode submissions uh, that performers and networks have submitted for their shows. So you can also take a look at that over at Awards Watch under Emmy episode submissions. 
And, you know, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time, even through years of, of changing how the voting happens. You know, you still submit an episode. And, you know, if you're a voter, you're not able to watch Everything, 35 right? shows and all of them. So sometimes, yeah, you you will only be able to watch one episode and and hope that, you know, as the person submitting it, that it does represent you your performance and your show as best as it can. This may be a difficult question pertaining to that, just getting you on the spot here, but is is there historically a submitted episode that really did not work that and that thinking about it afterwards, that was the wrong one to send and that you think they would have won if another episode would have been sent? I think it happens all the time, actually. And it's, it, it, uh, actually, Olivia Coleman submitted 48 to 1 uh, which was not her best episode. She probably Is that from the Crown or from the Crown? Yeah, she probably should have submitted War, um, but she's, she actually hasn't been that great at submitting. But okay, you know. <laughs> do but does she choose it or does? That's that's the thing. Sometimes the performer submits. Sometimes the network submits. Classic, classically, that was the case. Uh, with HBO and The Sopranos. And so all those wins that, that Edie Falco got, those were all HBO submissions. She didn't do those. Which is so funny because way back in the day, we used to call, if somebody submitted an episode that there was no way that they were going to lose based on that, it was called uh, a white caps submission because that was an Edie Falco uh, soprano submission from you know, whatever mid mid 2000s and it was it was a performance and a submission that it didn't even matter who else was was done <laughs> that was it it was that was a done deal so we kind of almost every year even though like I said the voting isn't exactly the same we don't have these blue ribbon small panels that only look at 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 the Submission. We still call them tapes, for Christ's sake. That's <laughs> get with so the that's, program. That's kind of how, yeah, that's that's kind of how you know almost old fashioned it is. But you know, I mean, I'm kind of I'm looking at the the submissions for this year. Emma Corn from The Crown submitted Fairy Tale. I don't think she could have submitted anything else. It's absolutely perfect. That's the one where she roller skates, right? Yes, it yes. is. <laughs> so iconic. Diana, I can't yeah. even deal with it. It's it's the it's the best thing ever. Uh, Michael K. Williams from Lovecraft Country submitted Rewind 1921, which is by far his best and most sympathetic episode. And that is a category that has never had a Black winner ever. Every single acting category at the Emmys has had a, uh, a Black winner except This is supporting, best supporting in... Supporting actor in a drama series. Drama series. Drama mm -hmm. series, yeah. And we actually have three uh, Black actors nominated in this category. So the the chances of that stat being broken are extremely high, which is great. Um, what do we have? Is there first, a white cap? Well, personally, I feel that Michael K. Williams' submission is a white caps episode. I think it's stunning. Um, he is, he's on his fifth nomination. He is an actor and a veteran that has been so respected in the industry and never won. It is an extraordinarily sympathetic I can't believe he's episode. Never 
I he mean, wasn't even nominated for like his best role, but yeah. So yeah. it's he wasn't know. ever nominated for The Wire. No, that yeah. Oh, that poor show was very abused by the Emmys. <laughs> um, let me see what else. I think you know, even though Gene Smart already was basically a lock to win, uh, she submitted uh, 1.69 million, which was the episode where she's doing her stand up at this small thing and, and she gets heckled by this guy and delivers this fantastic monologue. So I think that's, 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 that's a submission that's really hard to beat. But she's like a white cap for that whole series. I mean, she could have, she oh could have submitted God. anything in one. She's yeah. There's, there's a lot this year that I feel like we can just, you know, put it away. Cause it's, 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 it's a lock. It's going to happen. Ted Lasso is going to win the series. Jason Sudeikis is going to win actor. Gene Hatch is going to win uh, supporting or lead actors. And Hannah Waddingham is going to, to win supporting actress. There's a lot that I, yeah, that I feel like are pretty locked in. So I do like looking then at the ones that have, have some, some movement, like the guest acting categories. Yeah, let's look at, let's look. First, I want to get your, th- your, um, and just drama series, because you already mentioned that Ted Lasso is a lock for outstanding comedy series. What about drama series? What sticks out for you there? Were you happy with the nominations? I think the nominations are pretty cool. Um, you know, there's no Emily in Paris like there is in comedy. So it's it's a good set of, of nominations. I do think that The Crown can finally win. And that will give Netflix its first series win at the Emmys. Of course, if the Queen's Gambit wins before that, then that's that'll be a series win as well. But I, I think the crown, I think the crown is in the best shape. And and going to the categories you were saying that a little more yeah, up in the air, what are you thinking about? If uh looking at like guest actor in a drama series, I think that's I think it's open but I'm leaning to Courtney B. Vance for Lovecraft Country. But I think, I think it's pretty open. Uh, Charles Dance has a, Charles Dance in the Crown has the first episode of season four. And he's only in that uh, uh, as General Mountbatten. Um, we've got Carl Weathers and Timothy Oliphant from The Mandalorian, both really good. We have Don Cheadle's, I think it's a 90 second cameo in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Which That's is amazing. Whatever. It's a, <laughs> even he was like, why am I not? This, this is ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. There um, must, I mean, there must have been someone else out there. Yeah. And Jared then, Leto was not available. <laughs> <laughs> and guest actors in a drama series is pretty fun too. And, you know, speaking of, of cameos, we have Claire Foy in that 48 to one episode where she does, you know, that, uh, that radio speech oh, and, right. and ma- makes, makes a cameo. And it's a, it's short, it's not 90 seconds short, but it's a very, very short. And there's no, you know, there's no arc or anything. It's just her giving the speech. So it's, a, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a throwaway nomination, I think, but you know, I, I don't, I don't turn my nose up at it too much. Uh, we've got two from Handmaid's Tale, Alexis Bledel, who's already won here, and McKenna Grace, who at 15 years old is the youngest nominee here ever in Emmy history. 
And then Felicia Rashad, who I <laughs> I don't think really has much of a chance of winning after her messy after Bill Cosby, Cosby tweets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good luck with that. And then Sophie Okonedo uh, for Ratchet, which was not a surprise nomination, but the surprise was that she's the only person that was nominated from the show. Well, it was Cynthia, a very divisive show. It was, but Cynthia Nixon and uh, Sarah Paulson are absolute Emmy favorites. And so both and of them- And they were being... good in the series that was very divisive. Yeah, so that was, that was a surprise. And do you see a network or, or you know, taking winning this year? Is... You know, it's, we have so many shows with huge nomination totals. Um, Ted Lasso and has 20, which is now the most for a freshman season in Emmy history. And Axe has 15. Huge. Axe absolutely overperformed. It was, it was huge. Um, but, you know, they're competing against each other in all of these categories. Then you go over to, to drama and you have The Crown and Lovecraft Country with huge, huge numbers. Um, the Mandalorian. And... And so it's, it's not that if you have the most nominations, you're, you're locked to win, but it certainly shows the, the extreme broad appeal. But at the same time, you'll never have a show like This Is Us being contemporary. We'll never have the same amount of nominations as something period piece or fantasy like Lovecraft and Crown and Mandalorian do. They just have more available to them in terms of categories. Yeah, in terms of all the craft categories and everything Absolutely, else, right? yeah. yeah. But it's, the battle this year is really between Netflix and HBO because they are only separated by one nomination, which has to have absolutely gutted Netflix because HBO came in with 130 which includes HBO Max, obviously, uh, and the Netflix had 129, and that just oh my god, <laughs> that well, that had to just suck. They're like in the office going Netflix Max now next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that's going to be very interesting. I mean, I I'm a huge fan of both Ted Lasso and Hacks. I have to say, I mean, I just think it's been an amazing TV summer in in many ways. Also, White Lotus, but that's not this year. But I needed this good time that these shows have brought me. So I'm I like all the nominees there. I have a feeling that Ted Lasso has a little bit of an edge over Hacks, just because I think it feels like everyone has watched Ted Lasso. It's a it's a show that seems seems very accessible to all groups of people, sports fans, men, women, everything, you know, and Hacks has maybe been a little bit small. I haven't heard as as much buzz as I have, even though the buzz I've heard is amazing and should be, but that's sort of, I have a feeling that Ted Lasso will edge out Hacks. I I, I think it's, it's actually not very close at all. I think Ted Lasso is, but yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty easy win. And I do like that we are going to, you know, if it does, we're going to have two, two years in a row of the comedy series being a show that is good, good-natured, good-hearted, 
And you're, you're um, referencing Schitt's Creek, I suppose. And referencing, yeah, yeah Schitt's Creek. Not cynical. Um, yes. I think that is, I think that's a really, I think it's really interesting. I think it's a, I, I'm, I'm glad to see it. I mean, I love dark comedies to the end of the world, but. But this nature, year we needed this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The nature of Schitt's Creek and of Ted Lasso is, is just extremely big hearted. And, and don't you just and, feel good for Jason Sudeikis after this divorce and all this stuff he's been going through and tabloid pictures of his ex-wife? And I just, it just feels like I, I'm so happy he's having a good year. <laughs> I guess he seems to be doing fine. His GQ spread was kind of amazing. amazing. And we were like, okay. Good, good. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, and, you know, and I, he's coming off of, you know, being uh, an, an old SNL because uh, he, person, he did so. look a little rough in that sweatshirt when at the, what was it the golden globes that first or was it or, or critics choice or one of those yeah one of those was, first ones when he didn't realize he was he, he felt it felt like oh my god <laughs> it, it was it, yeah i mean it, the, the nature of all those was pretty funny because you know once again the women you know really turned it out and got dressed up and did the whole thing like it was a you know in-person red carpet and the guys were like whatever I just I keep thinking about Bill Camp doing the SAG Awards thing from in his car in line to get his vaccination shot. And I'm just well, like that was good publicity for vac- vaccination shots. <laughs> it was, but it was one of those things where show me an actress that could have done that in a, a damn house dress and no hair done and no makeup and you know, not have it be torn to shreds versus Francis McDormand. Except for Frances McDormand. <laughs> She's the only one that the can do it. The only one, yes. And she does it. Oh my God, her hair at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> oh and my she God. would have been doing the vaccination show. I, I can see it. But I, I get your point and it absolutely, yeah, and, and let's change that. Yeah, I, you know, I just let, let, it, let it be either or and not, you know, whatever. Well, Eric, will you do a real prediction show with me um, like that? week ahead of yes. it in september yes of and course that of would course. be so much fun so so we'll leave it at that it's so great to talk to you again and we're on a roll here so thank you so much and i'll see you very soon yes absolutely thank you don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.